0: Showtime Sports presents Showtime
1: Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney.
0: Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, I think we are on episode 27 right now. I think that's about right. That's right, yep. The number that's been on my mind since late last summer, however, is uh, 29. That's how many years it's been, Eric, as you well know. (laughs) Since Liverpool Football Club were English champions. And for much of this season, it seemed there was a chance that the wait might finally be over. Alas, the wait is going to extend to year 30. At least. The Premier League season ended today and in the end Liverpool scored 97 points in total which would have been enough to win the title in every previous Premier League season bar one but Manchester City went and scored 98 points to take the title. So to give you an idea Eric of how close it was because I'm sure this means absolutely nothing to you. Of 38 games played during the course of the season Liverpool won 30, drew seven and they lost just one and that loss was to manchester city and to talk about fine margins they lost by one goal in that game and at one point in that game liverpool was sure they'd scored a goal but unlike football in soccer the whole ball has to cross the line for it to count and 11 millimeters of it did not that's the difference between being champions and being runners up in the end
1: liver who what's this i don't, I don't know what you're talking about <sighs> sounds like it's important to you though so it's uh, it's
0: quite important so you're going to fake some kind of concern briefly <laughs> no for a few I, w- seconds. I was <laughs> so just going to, move on to the next i was subject. just going to
1: say the words my sympathies and then oh, okay. uh, and then move there along there there Right. There there would have worked also. Yeah. And I guess that's that's even uh, better from a brevity standpoint. Should have gone with there there over my sympathies. But, um, you know, from my perspective, all I know is we're recording this podcast too early in the day on Sunday for me to know whether to be ecstatic or devastated about my 76ers. So I am able to podcast with a relatively even emotional keel. Let's just assume it's going to be devastation. (laughs) Probably. That's how most things end for us. Right. Yeah, but it's not
0: yet over for Liverpool because they did beat Barcelona four goals to nil uh, earlier in the week, which means they're in the final of the European Champions League on June first. Wait, so what? The A- one team plays in multiple leagues? In yes, this, in this sport correct i don't understand your culture there are multiple concurrent competitions and liverpool are in the final so they still have the chance even though they're not english champions this year they can still be european champions and so sunday june the second when we podcast again once more i will either be in a state (laughs) of great excitement or moping
1: i can't wait i will have a there there in the holster just in case oh i don't think you're gonna need a there there
0: No, no. All right. (laughs) See how swiftly we swing from being morose to being overly confident. (laughs) All right. um, There's actually boxing as well as soccer on this week's podcast. Uh, Coming up, we will be previewing, previewing rather than previewing, this Saturday's (laughs) Showtime Championship Boxing card headlined by Heavyweight Action. Between Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. we will be reviewing. This past weekend's action, including the showbox triple header from Corona, California, upsets and controversy in Fairfax, Virginia, and hopes of revenge brutally snuffed out in Tucson, Arizona. But alas, we must bookend our podcast with sad news. Uh, at the end, we will be eulogizing a recently deceased ex fighter. But before that, a loss that hits close to home for both Eric and myself, and indeed for all boxing fans. Uh, Harold Letterman, our friend and former colleague, HBO's unofficial, official. Died on Saturday morning, the age of 79, after a battle with cancer. Uh, Harold had been unwell for quite some time. I don't know how much folks realize this, but he hadn't been traveling to fights uh, for a while. Uh, First of all, he wasn't doing West Coast fights and then not even East Coast fights. Uh, When you heard him on HBO broadcast for most of 2018, he wasn't ringside. He was in a studio in Manhattan as he struggled to uh, defeat his cancer. Um, Look, as anyone who was fortunate enough to meet Harold can testify, he was a sweet And genuine and open of a man as you could ever hope to meet. He had time for everybody. And I mean absolutely everybody. He was kind and helpful in every way he could be. And he absolutely loved boxing. I mean loved boxing. There was barely a show, certainly in New York, where he lived, that he wouldn't go to. uh, Always. Every time he went to a show, whether he was working or whether he was there as a fan, he would dress up in a suit and tie for the occasion. Um, if we had a broadcast on a Saturday night in, say, Los Angeles, then he could be sure of two things with Harold, especially in L.A. First, that he would take every opportunity to eat as many meals as possible at Norm's family diner. <laughs> and second if there were a club show within driving distance of our hotel on the friday night he'd be going to it and trying to find as many people as possible to go with him um he not only had an encyclopedic knowledge of boxing he loved to share it uh, i don't know how many times we had him on our hbo boxing podcast but uh, he was one of our most frequent guests and perhaps mm-hmm. our most frequent uh he really enjoyed i think being on with us he really enjoyed shooting his hey harold digital segments at jimmy's corner uh, he was one of a kind. He was truly an icon. He he created the role of an on-screen scorer and he made it his own. Uh, his absence will be keenly felt in boxing broadcasts and also in many people's lives, including Eric, our own.
1: Yeah, well said. Uh, yeah, th- this one gets me a little um, because yeah. th- this isn't just losing a boxing broadcaster or losing a boxing judge or losing a boxing personality. Although Harold was all of those things uh, and was, uh, as you noted, their groundbreaking in the way he combined them all as, as the ringside judge role did not exist before Harold started doing it. Um, But I feel a real sadness as a boxing observer because the boxing world lost really honestly, I'm not overstating it. This isn't hyperbole as big a boxing fan as there was on the planet. I don't think I've ever met anyone who loved this sport as much as Harold had as insatiable an appetite for watching and talking boxing as Harold did. A little piece of boxing fandom died this weekend. Uh, And of course, Harold was also a great guy, always friendly to everyone. A few of my personal favorite memories. The first time I met him in person was in about 2000 or so. Uh, I was covering a fight in Vegas, and I saw Harold on the afternoon of the fight wandering about. And I introduced myself, and we were both headed somewhere on the other side of the casino. And so we just walked together and talked boxing for a good 10 minutes or so as we winded our way across the casino. And I remember nobody stopped him because they recognized him physically, But at one point, someone heard his voice and said, (laughs) are you Harold Letterman? He he was like a radio celebrity, despite working in TV. Um, Also, a weird thing about Harold, I probably met him a dozen times or so in person. As you said, we had him on podcasts, sometimes in person. I never got the impression that he knew who I was. Um, he, he, he knew my name. Like if I emailed or called him, it was like we were old friends. But whenever I saw him, there was never a look of recognition in his eyes. He never said, hi, Eric, before I reintroduced myself. So uh, a bit odd. I will never know if he uh, really put name and face together. Uh, but that said, maybe my favorite Harold thing. Uh, for one year randomly i ended up on his holiday card list uh got a picture of harold and his wife on their holiday card in the mail and put it up on my fridge next to all of our friends kids and babies just these two random 70 year olds to whom i was not related on the fridge among all the babies quite a few people uh, who took a look at our fridge that year got a kick out of that uh be as it may to use a haroldism be as it may uh great guy a great loss for the boxing community we'll miss you harold
0: Definitely. Um, and that is certainly not the way we wanted to start this podcast, that's for sure. Um, the show, however, must go on. Harold would insist on it. Um, we'll try and get things back a little bit on a lighter note uh, as we as we move forward. Uh, Harold approached the sport with nothing but good humor. So let's try to emulate that a little bit. And uh, let's try to introduce a little bit note of levity to segue into our next segment here uh it's this i got a little bit of a puzzle for you eric okay what do may west jackie gleason bobby fisher and our own steve farhood have in common apart from being like the worst boy band of all time
1: <laughs> well especially because one of them is not exactly. a boy <laughs> that goes against the rules of boy bands as as i know them um Let's see. Mae West, Jackie Gleason, Bobby Fisher, Steve Farhood, who are four people who have never been in my kitchen. What the, else? The Cliff Clavin line. Uh, really? No. Mae West has never been in your kitchen? <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess someone lived here before I did. Um, no, uh, I know. I know. I believe it is that they are all from Brooklyn. Is that what you're you getting are at? correct, sir. Okay.
0: They do indeed all come from Brooklyn. And so too, he says with one of his infamous segues, does this Saturday Showtime Championship Boxing Uh, which is the 34th boxing show already to take place at the Barclays Center. It feels like it only just opened yesterday. Um, And is the 19th of those 34 shows to air on Showtime. It is headlined, of course, by heavyweight action between Deontay Wilder and Dominic Brazil. Uh, We remarked before, a couple weeks back, that this is the most interesting of the three matchups taking place this spring and summer, uh, featuring the three men at the apex of the heavyweight division, Wilder, Tyson Fury, and Anthony Joshua. Although, having said that... That was before Andy Ruiz stepped in as Joshua's opponent. So perhaps you have a different opinion now than you did in that regard. And if you do, I'm sure
1: you'll be sharing it with us shortly. <laughs> I'll just um, share it now and uh, and say that, uh, no, this is still the best one, but it's a lot closer than it was looking when we thought Anthony Joshua okay. was fighting Michael Hunter. But uh, no, I'm still with you. This is this is the okay. most interesting. Yeah, And
0: it is certainly, I think we can certainly say it's the, the most personal. Uh, there is actual, legit animus here, uh, dating back to... February 25th, 2017, apparently, uh, when Wilder and Brazil uh, boxed on the same card. In Wilder's native Alabama, Wilder defeated Gerald Washington. Brazil turned back Izu Yugono. Uh, But the real fireworks, apparently, uh, the real metaphorical fireworks, um, were set off in the hotel lobby later that night. Uh, So the two camps supposedly encountered each other, began exchanging insults, and then actually began exchanging blows. Quite serious blows, by all accounts, because... by the time it was all done, Brazil and then trainer Manny Robles ultimately sued Wilder and Wilder's brother, Marcelos, and indeed the Marriott chain, no less, um, which is ironic because it was at a Hilton. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> um, that suit was thrown out, uh, but the bad blood remains, as was evident at the press conference uh, to announce the flight back in March. Um, so, look, we've been here before, of course. Um, before the James the Gale Chris Eubank Jr. bout earlier this year, uh, we, you, and I wondered whether the personal beef between those two would help spark a more exciting contest. Uh, we thought it might. It didn't in the end, uh, but that was largely because one guy was uh, Eubank was quite a bit superior on the night. Um, so, what about Saturday night? Uh, this is like real, legitimate personal beef here and both guy, neither guy really interested in letting it go at all so with all of that was that going to help make this an exciting fight make it a night to remember do you think
1: i think it could be a a night to remember regardless uh, just because of the style of the fighters because they're aggressive heavyweights who can bang Uh, but yeah when there's legit beef that usually helps it's tricky with wilder because okay he was fired up you know spouting off at the press conference but that always happens with Wilder. Yeah. That's that's who he is. You, you yeah. catch him at the wrong moment uh, or the right moment, depending on your perspective. And all of the chips on his shoulder come out. And he's yelling loud. And he's doing the, the to this day. Uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it sure seems like he means business. Um, so the way he spoke to Brazil at the presser, it was kind of par for the course for him. Um, by the way, he has referred to Brazil as basic cable which is a great jab Uh, you know it's not true this Saturday Uh, Brazil is on premium pay cable uh, but it's it's a fine insult Um, but yeah look it's hard to see these guys boxing like Canelo and Jacobs did uh, in part because of their styles and in part because I think they genuinely want to make a personal statement in this fight at the expense of this opponent that they don't very much like so the TLDR version yep I expect the personal feelings to carry over into the fight at least a little. Um, So obviously, these guys are motivated to kick each other's ass. But I presume Wilder has an additional motivation. He's certainly quite aware that Brazil has already faced Anthony Joshua. Uh, Joshua dropped him twice and stopped him in the seventh round back in June 2016. And that remains Brazil's only defeat. Uh, Joshua has mocked Wilder for taking this fight against someone he already hung a loss on. We all know that whenever Wilder, Joshua, and Fury fight anyone other than each other, they're looking to outdo each other. So, do you think Wilder is going to go into this with the goal of beating Brazil better than Joshua did? May- maybe more quickly, maybe more violently, and is that a risk for him?
0: Um, so, to take the first part, yeah, absolutely, he's totally going to be doing that, isn't he? Uh, um, as you said, they're, you know, they're they're yapping about no matter who they're fighting beforehand. They're yapping about each other. Uh, wilder and joshua and fury as much as they are about whoever whoever they're fighting and, and it's still going on uh right now and you know and it's sort of related actually to that last question a little bit and i think Deontay is you know he's one of these guys he, he kind of not only just talks as you said with his chip on his shoulder and his heart in his sleeve but he can fight that way too right. and um you know, it, it works for him. It's not just about beating his opponent. Uh, it's beating them as impressively as possible. And, and he, I think he's definitely going to have in his mind how long Joshua took to beat Brazil. He's certainly going to want to do that, do it more emphatically uh, or more quickly. That said, I, I don't, to take the second part, I don't see it being a risk for him. in that. I don't see him, for example, if we go into the seventh round. And he hasn't gotten him out of there, and it doesn't look like he's going to get him out of there. I don't think he's going to do anything stupid right. to to try and do it. Uh, if it's there, if it feels as if it is there, I could see him stepping it up to try and do it. But um, yeah, I, I don't see him th- throwing. I was going to say I don't see him throwing caution entirely to the wind. But that's often the way he fights. I don't <laughs> right. see him doing that even more than 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 ever before. Um, that said. I mean, whoever does win more convincingly, if Wilder wins, is is going to be crowing about it. I mean, mm-hmm. if it goes to 10, 8, 9, 10 rounds or to a decision, I mean, Joshua's just he's going to have fun with it. If it's right. over in five, Wilder's going to have fun with it. Uh, if Brazil wins, God, Joshua's never going <laughs> to shut off, is he? Um, so and, and as for whether Brazil might win or whether Wilder will stop in. So we'll get into our predictions later in the week uh, when we'll be podcasting live from the weigh-in on Friday. But um, one thing I did want to touch on here, uh, hopefully without giving away any predictions, Um so notwithstanding the fact that, yeah, look, we both like this fight, uh, there is a clear favorite here, um, and it is Wilder. Uh, and one reason why, look, Wilder has 39 knockouts from his 40 wins in 41 fights, and, and he shows in that slugfest with Luis Ortiz that he can take a punch too. Um, Brazil, meanwhile, despite having 18 KOs and 20 wins, has been down himself five times, twice against Joshua, as you mentioned, uh, once against Hugono, and once apiece against Victor Bisbal, and Amir Mansour. So he also kind of have a bit of a slow start in him. And Wilder mm. can be a bit of a fast starter. So look, you're the odds guy. What are the odds that in particular, that perhaps dentable chin of Brazil is going to be a definitive factor on Saturday night?
1: The odds are good. Uh, that That's the favorite. Uh, Wilder by knockout is the minus dollar option. It's the one you have to lay about two to one or more on. Uh, Wilder by KO, in other words, is the chalk pick. And it's because of what you said. Um, you know, Wilder is a generational puncher, and Brazil might not have the greatest chin. He's been dropped by, I don't want to call any of them weak punchers, but they might not all be Deontay Wilder level punchers. Uh, Anthony Joshua, certainly a tremendous puncher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mansoor can pop, Ugono can pop, Bisbal too. But if all those guys are dropping Brazil, The smart money says he's not going to take a whole bunch of flush shots from Deontay Wilder and stay on his feet. So, you know, is chin the definitive factor? Not necessarily. Is it one important differentiator that figures to come into play? I'd say yes. Um, And as you said, Brazil can be a slow starter. He's susceptible to right hands. So look out. Don't uh, don't get up and go to the fridge after right. the bell rings because something big could land and it could have a major effect at any time. Um, on the subject of Wilder's knockout power, partly the way he detonates bombs is unsurprising when you look at the guy. He's six foot seven, all muscle, so you'd expect him to pack a punch. But in an age where the super heavyweights reign supreme, his weight is positively old school over their last five fights. Joshua has averaged a weight of 248 pounds. Fury, 260 pounds. Brazil has weighed 256. Wilder has weighed on average just 218. And against Fury last year, he was only 212 pounds. That's that's like a Joe Lewis era heavyweight weight. Uh, Wilder gives up a lot of poundage most of the time when he enters the ring. But he's a hell of a puncher, despite being 30 to 50 pounds lighter than a lot of the other top heavyweights. Wilder keeps knocking people out, or in the case of his fight with Fury, coming as close to knocking them out right. as he possibly can without quite knocking them out. So would you say, despite giving pounds away, that Wilder has the best one-punch KO power at heavyweight? I mean, first of all, I mean, how on earth is
0: he only 219 pounds? How is that much of a human being? <laughs> It's amazing, it's, isn't it?
1: It's A lot of it is the legs. He has, it is, it, isn't it? He has skinny yeah. legs.
0: Yeah. yeah, it has to be. Yeah, exactly. Um, do I think he has the best one punch KO power? Yeah, I think he does. It's funny, really, because, you know, his technique is at times so terrible mm-hmm. that he probably shouldn't have. I was actually re-watching that Ortiz fight recently, and, and my God, even as he was raining punches on Ortiz, some of the punches, it was... It was almost shocking how poorly thrown some of them were in terms of technique. You know, some some almost appear to be slaps, you know, mm-hmm. some backhands. But I think the thing is, partly, he really commits to his punches. Um yeah. there's, there's like an all-or-nothing element to him, isn't there, in terms of his punching. There's, there's also, I think, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a Tommy Hearns element to him in that he's this slim build, everything up top, like you said, skinny legs. And he just really torques those punches. I mean, he really does. And yes, here we offer the caveat. I am not equating Deontay Wilder and Tommy Hearns, nor am I saying he's as (laughs) good. I'm pretty
1: pretty sure that's what you said. You said that he is guaranteed to be uh, in the Hall of Fame right alongside Tommy Hearns someday. Because he is every bit Tommy Hearns is equal. That's what I heard you say, Karen.
0: Basically, you just can't tell the difference between them. (laughs) Um, You know, and and Tommy's punches were were almost all straight. uh, Whereas... Wilders are straight, they're looping, they're they're coming from above, they're coming from below, they're all over the place. And and I think that's also probably a factor in his power, because not only are so many of his punches heat seeking missiles, they can come at you from anywhere, which makes it very difficult to sort of brace for them or prepare for them. Um so yeah, I think of the three, I think Joshua is the most well rounded of the three. Um Fury is clearly the best defensively, but yeah. In terms of devastating one-punch KO power, I will take Deontay Wilder, I'm sure. Um, So, look, as mentioned, we will get into the predictions for the main event on Friday. And that is also when we will offer predictions for the other two fights on the card. But we are going to take a quick look at those fights now. Uh, The other week, we spoke to uh, Mr. Gary Russell Jr. And the featherweight titleist was terrific. Really fun interview. Uh, Certainly talked a good game. Uh, He insisted that Saturday's bout against Kiko Martinez will be, but the first of more regular outings for him. But the question is, will it? Will it really? <laughs> um, Eric, you know what? Seeing as you did so well with your odds maker's cap on there, I'm not even going to give you time to take it off. Keep it on. <laughs> okay. We, uh, we've uh, So we've seen him fight on the same weekend each year for the last four years, and only on that weekend. Will that trend continue or... Will we see Mr. Gary Russell Jr. again before we all have to buy new wall calendars?
1: This is a much harder prediction to make than who will win a fight and how. The the odds makers aren't posting this one. They don't know. (laughs) They're they're not taking their chances. I mean, you think logically, Gary Russell Jr. is looking at himself in the mirror saying, I'm 30, turning 31 next month. I've fought four times in more than four years. I have to take control of my career and make things happen. You'd think that. Mm. From talking to him, I believe he wants that. The reaction on Twitter to his appearance on our podcast, by the way, was not great. It was pretty skeptical. A lot of people calling him delusional. Uh, I truly have no idea what comes after this. He could be back in the ring two more times this year and get one of those big fights he's looking for soon. He could be back in the ring on May 16th, 2020. He has... A lot of excuses and a lot of questionable spins on things. And the pattern suggests he talks a good game, but tends toward making more excuses rather than sucking it up and making the sacrifices necessary to sign the next fight. I don't know. Let's enjoy his talent while we can against Martinez, yep. because it's anyone's guess if he'll follow it up with yep. anything else in 2019. Here's an alternative answer for you, though. Okay. Gary Russell will fight. At least three times in 2019. In fact, he'll fight three times this Saturday. I know where you're going. Because <laughs> Gary Antonio Russell and Gary Antoine Russell are both on this undercard. Nice. So there's your answer, yeah. Nice. Speaking of what else is on this card, uh, the third fight on the broadcast is is in the junior welterweight division as Argenis Mendez, 25-5-2 with 12 knockouts and one no decision, takes on undefeated Juan Eraldez, 16-0, 10 KOs. Interesting crossroads fight here. The Mm. not-so-battle-tested prospect stepping up against the former belt holder, trying not to slip to full-on gatekeeper status. Neither of them are in the legit top 10 at 140 pounds right now, but an impressive win here could elevate one of them to true contender status. Kieran, what can you tell us about this matchup and what should we be looking for? So it may not be
0: the most exciting of contests. This might be one of those unfortunate style matchups. Heraldes uh, you know, has a decent-ish KO percentage, but he's not exactly Gatti-esque uh, in the ring. And and of late, Mendes at times can also give off a bit of an aura of diffidence in the ring. Heraldes um, has a size advantage here. Uh, he's a natural one forty pounder. He's fought a welterweight, whereas Mendez began his pro career uh much farther south, I think at one thirty. Um Mendez though has the experience and the activity advantage. Uh not only has he 33 fights against 16 for Heraldes? He's also fought many more pro rounds 223 to 67. He's been fighting consistency, consistently, whereas Heraldes' career, partly due to hand injuries, has been a bit fits and starts over the last few years. Um, Mendez also has a massive quality of opposition advantage. His last five opponents have a combined record, or had uh, at the time a combined record of 103. Five and one. Hmm. So uh, Mendes clearly not shirking in the the quality of opposition. I think the wild card here is what Mendes has left. Um, We talked about him tangentially the other week when we were previewing Robert Easter Jr. against Rantis Bartholomew because Mendes had lost to them both. Uh, And in fact, that no decision uh, was also against Bartholomew. And generally speaking... When he stepped up, he has fallen short. In addition to those two, he also dropped a decision to Luke Campbell relatively recently, although there's certainly no shame in that. Um, but he has shown signs of late of being far from done. The sort of I'm not did yet phase of his career. Uh, he had a win against then undefeated prospect Eddie Ramirez and then a draw against Anthony Peterson. And by the way, I was I was quite surprised looking this up to realize that Anthony Peterson has still only got one defeat on his ledger all that way back to Brandon Rios. And that's still only that one defeat, but that's partly because he's been Gary Russell junior esque. Yep. Yep. Hasn't he? So I was really surprised to see that. Um, Interestingly, that, uh, Eddie Ramirez is a common opponent for both men. Uh, after dropping a decision to Mendes, he faced Araldez on the streaming undercard of Javante Davis's recent smackdown of Hugo Ruiz. And that was a fight in which Heraldes actually did look entertaining, and he scored a seventh round stoppage. For what it's worth, Ramirez is picking Mendes to win this. He said he just happened to get caught against Araldez, but he says that Mendes has more power, Hmm. more experience, and is the all-round better fighter. Hmm.
1: So it seems uh, what we have provided in previewing this card, among other things, but I, the main takeaway is we've given the viewers a pretty good idea of when they can and cannot <laughs> get up to urinate right. or grab a beer or whatever. If you must do it, right. Mendez or Aldez, not the worst time for it. Wilder and Brazil, do not get up. Indeed. okay, in dates.
0: All right, that's, that's the kind of analysis that you don't get anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Wada Brazil is by far the biggest matchup, literally and figuratively, this weekend. Uh, it is, of course, not the only one. Uh, on Friday in Belfast, junior featherweight Ryan Burnett returns to the ring after being forced to retire with a back injury against Donito Donaire <laughs> in the World Boxing Super Series last year. Uh, he takes on Gelbert Gomera over 12 rounds on ESPN+. Plus The following evening... Also on the plus, as I believe the kids are calling it now.
1: Yeah, I don't think so. Really? <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know. I mean, it's I not, don't know it's not like I'm in I touch with the I kids any more than you are. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean,
0: you know, at least you have a couple, but I guess they're True. not.
1: At the plus. <laughs> well, My then. kids are not calling it the plus. That's all okay, I can tell well, you. There
0: you go. There you
1: go.
0: <laughs> so uh, the plus as the kids are not calling it. Um, <laughs> Billy Joe Saunders moves up to super middleweight for the ultimate glory of an interim alphabet belt. As he takes on, I'm going to mess this up terribly, Shifat Esugi, I think. How does that sound to you? Sound about right? Reasonable enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And in the co-main, uh, we see the return of heavyweight Joe Joyce against Alexander Ustanov. And it's really all happening on the other side of the Atlantic, uh, as in Glasgow. There's yet more World Boxing Super Series action. Uh, Ivan Barinchik takes on Just Taylor the right to meet Regis Progre in the £140 finals. And Donayar will be awaiting the winner of Emmanuel Rodriguez and Naoya Inouye in the Panton Waves final. I you. This, is, <laughs> this is
1: a lot of challenges uh, for it, you pronunciation-wise yeah. oh, yeah. here. Is, yeah.
0: this, is, this is gold. This is where they pay us the money.
1: <laughs> hmm. uh, so, Eric, that's a lot of bouts I just threw at you there. Lots to talk about. Uh, what grabs you? Um, some things grab me, some things don't, uh, our, our friends, Brian Campbell and Rafe Bartholomew play the do you care game with the upcoming right. weekends fights. And with a lot of what you just mentioned, no, I don't, uh, Burnett, Gomera, don't care. Saunders, Isugi, don't care. Uh, Joyce Ustinov, I might care if Ustinov wasn't 42 years old. I guess I still care a tiny bit, Uh, but the card that I'm happy to comment on is that World Boxing Super Series card with the two semifinal bouts. Those are quality fights. Inoue is always must-see, and Rodriguez might be capable of testing him a little, although he also might just get erased in one round because Inoue is ridiculous. Um, And uh, Baranchik and Taylor are both undefeated. Either one is a good opponent for Regis Progray. I like the way this junior welter tournament is shaking out. Um, My latest column in ringside seat magazine was titled too much boxing. And it was me complaining that you simply can't watch everything that's airing (laughs) these days. It's unmanageable. If you want to have any kind of a life outside of watching boxing. So you have to pick and choose. And if you co-host a boxing podcast, hypothetically, you have to tap dance a bit around the fights that you didn't actually (laughs) watch. Unless I hear that something notable happened. I won't watch Burnett. I won't watch Saunders. With the World Boxing Super Series show, I won't watch the 12-hour-long televised undercard. <laughs> but I will make a point. Whatever else I have going yeah. on, even if I can't watch in real time, I will watch the Inoue fight, and I will watch Taylor Branchick. Those are yeah. worth finding time for. Yep,
0: yeah, agreed. Very much.
1: Speaking of fights worth finding time for, how's that for a Mulvaney-esque Noice. transition? Noice. You taught Noice. me well. Do. Uh, on Friday, Showbox returned with a triple header from Carson, California. In the main event, featherweight Ruben Villa remained undefeated with a unanimous points win over Luis Alberto Lopez. Scorecards were 98-92, 97-93, and 96-94, a bit closer than the Showbox crew had it, but still, clear win for Villa, three points for each of us in our predictions competition. It's the second time we've seen Via on Showbox, his first time in a main event. Here in Last time you were a bit less impressed than I was with Via. Did he do anything on Saturday to improve his standing in your eyes? Yeah, he did, actually. Um, not least because of
0: the difficulty of the man he had in front of him. Um, mm-hmm. It's almost unfair, really, to judge a guy based on going up against Lopez. Uh, you know, we described Lopez last week as awkward. But in hindsight, that feels a little like describing Ted Bundy as naughty. I mean, it's just... <laughs> my god at times via must have felt as if he was in against a boxing kangaroo there there's just there's just no way to prepare for somebody like that there's just i mean who do you find to spar with i mean it's just there's just no way but i think in many respects via was really the perfect person to beat uh to beat him because you know when you're faced with somebody like that who's just all over the place the only thing you can really do is just keep your focus Keep your calm, maintain your shape, remain compact and just box, you know, jab, jab, straight punch, straight punch. Nothing fancy. Don't get wild. Um, that's not going to end well for anybody. You know, control the center of the ring, but keep moving as you're doing that. So you're not presenting a stationary target. Um, and Via has clearly got a good head on him, as well as having really sound fundamentals. He's, he's clearly a sharp cookie and, and he's calm in there as well. And, and I like the way that he's stuck to his game plan. And he remained unruffled and it's easy to become unglued against somebody who doesn't obey any of the fundamentals of boxing. But he didn't. Right. Um, and, and, and what I liked also is as he slowly took him apart, he did, in fact, step forward a little and into his punches more over the final couple of rounds. Uh, he did catch his attention with a few of his punches down the stretch, a couple of nice left hooks as well, in particular. Um, you know, I, I, I went into it and, you know, even partway through it, uh, unconvinced that he was ever going to be a star. But the quality was really evident. And I also was ultimately impressed with those final few rounds where he seemed to acknowledge, it seemed to be an acknowledgement that sometimes he's going to need to to push the action a little bit more to be more attractive to fans. So, Mm -hmm. yes, I I liked, I I thought it was a good performance. I I enjoyed it against a very, very tough guy to look really good against. Um, You were much more impressed than I was last time, I think it's fair to say. Do you remain that way um, after uh, Friday night? And and also, so at the top of the show, Steve Farhood wondered whether via, you know, in this flight, he might make the step from prospect to contender. Where do you think he stands on that prospect to contender continuum? What do you want to see from him next?
1: So to answer the, the first question, I remain about as high on him as I was. Uh, he's a guy who, despite a serious lack of power, has a craft and skill level yep. that makes him fun to watch. Although, I'll admit, it's interesting that, that you were most taken by the last few rounds. Uh, I started drifting a little in the second half of the fight. Uh, and we see that a lot with skillful guys who yep. either aren't going for the knockout or aren't capable of getting the knockout. Uh, even at the very top of the food chain, I've said in the past that there have been plenty of Roy Jones fights or Floyd mm-hmm. Mayweather fights where I'm riveted for the first few rounds, just blown away watching their talent. And then it becomes repetitive. Uh, no. that happened a, a bit here. Um, Lopez certainly did his best not to let up to make things tough and uncomfortable for Via to force Via to keep working. But still, the the second half of the fight, my mind actually wandered a, a bit. But I like Via a lot. Um, you know, he's probably not a future pound for pound guy. But he's a guy with the tools to have a nice long career around the top of his division, maybe has a poly ayala like projection. Hmm. Um you know, I, c- I could see him having a career a- around that, would be that fine. level. Yeah, not bad at all. Um you know, and as for uh prospect contender, I definitely wouldn't call him a contender yet. He's still a prospect. And I would guess he's still at least three or four three or four fights away from facing a real contender. I think He should continue down this road, fight another fellow prospect in another showbox main event next, or maybe try to land an opening bout on a Showtime Championship boxing card. And if the road is leading to one opponent in particular, it's clear that that would be his old amateur rival, Shakur Stevenson. But Mm -hmm. that fight might be years away. Um, I'd like to see it either sooner or later. I'm I'm intrigued by that potential matchup.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, moving on to the undercard from Friday, we saw two other prospects also maintain their unbeaten records in the co-main 140-pounder Michael Dutchover. Uh, man, every time I look at his name, I see Dutch oven. Uh, but that's my cross <laughs> to bear. Um, maybe, hopefully, I've this. now passed it along this. to you. I guess that's baked into your brain now. Oh, there you go. Ah. Well done. It is. Um, so he uh, he barely broke a sweat in knocking out late rep- late replacement Roski Cristobal with a left hook to the liver in the first round. Uh, and in the opener on the card, bantamweight Saul Sanchez stopped Brandon Benitez at the beginning of the eighth. Dutchover's win was so quick, it makes sense to just lump the two together. So, Kieran, what did you make of him and Sanchez? uh right yes you're
0: right putting together a touch on dutch over first um yeah there isn't that much to say because there wasn't much to talk about Uh, i'm sure what i have to say is going to take far longer than than the fight itself (laughs) um (laughs) But you know what did impress me in that short time that we saw him was how tremendously calm Dutch over was from the, from the very beginning he had that like cold assassin look about him i thought uh, and I think in the same way that Via deserves credit for dominating an awkward guy Dutch over i think deserves credit also for being so evidently at ease against their late replacement who, who like awkward guys can be can be difficult um you know it's a guy for whom you know he was not preparing for the over these last several weeks uh, and the stoppage swift as it was wasn't out of the blue he he clearly identified early on uh that Cristobal was leaving some space there on his flanks and and that, that was a place to target i don't know if that was from tape that he watched on thursday or friday after he knew that's who he was facing or whether he saw that immediately upon being in the ring with him which would be very impressive or whether he was just like oh this guy's kind of tall i'll hit him to the body um either way he's however that happened he zeroed in on that and and yeah, and that punch was legit. I mean, Cristobal let out a yelp of pain as he dropped to his knee. So that was a, a legit um, body stoppage. Um so you know, and afterwards he was complete. he was calm again and victory like almost shrugged for well, that day at the office done. Um probably a bit frustrating for him, I think as Steve Farhad said, you know, you don't you get so few opportunities to fight as a pro. It kind of sucks when one of those opportunities are basically wasted like that. Um right. You know, but the the flip side is, you know, hopefully he can stay in the gym. And because he d- didn't take any punishment, maybe he can come back very soon. Um,
1: wow, that's amazing. That was like three times longer than the fight. Uh, only three? <laughs> I mean, yeah. about that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually really, I at first thought, well, I'm not going to have anything to say as I watch this. I'm like, well, we'll just get just right through this. But, well, it's me. <laughs> so uh, as for Sanchez... I don't know. It's a bit difficult to know how to grade that win because it's still a bit difficult to know how to grade Benitez because we knew so little about him coming in. Right. Um, based on what we saw, I actually wouldn't mind seeing Benitez again either. Uh, he, he looks like he'd be a pretty good test for a lot of young prospects. Um, Sanchez, he didn't look like a blue chipper to me. eh? I mean, I thought his punches were a bit slow. He was a bit too easy to hit. He didn't appear to be doing a tremendously good job of like punching between Benitez's punches. Like When Benitez was punching, he just sort of went into his shell and then waited before before firing his own offense. It was, it was really when Benitez started to tire in that fourth round that um, and his output dropped that Sanchez really turned it on. Um, that said, what I did like, when he committed to it, he started off very well, then got away from it and then went back to it. His body punching, that was very good. Um, when he committed to his combinations, they were very good. There's just a little bit too little of that for my liking. Certainly wouldn't want to write him off. I'd be very happy to see him again. There's clearly something there. Not convinced he's, like I said, not convinced he's fully a gold standard. Um, but, hey, you know what? That might, part of that might be due to Benitez, what he was doing to him there. Yeah. A, a benef- to the credit of Benitez, other than the deficit of Sanchez. Um, the thing I want to ask you about, uh, particularly, is, as we discussed, I think it might have been last week, maybe the week before, I have been, Eric, and I say this from love, um, <laughs> okay. I've been a bit alarmed by signs of humanity on your <laughs> part that, that I hadn't previously noticed in low these many years of podcasting together. So reassure me that the old Eric is in there, alive and kicking. Tell me you did not like Raul Caius' junior stoppage in that bout, the Sanchez Benitos bout.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 Sadist Raskin is back. That that stoppage sucked. Um,
0: yeah, it did, didn't. It?
1: Benitez was still in the fight. Um, yeah. His face was looking pretty lumpy, but he wasn't hurt by any one punch. He wasn't hopelessly behind. He was still throwing punches. I think he's absolutely jumped the gun there. and And I'll pull out something. I have said this in the past. It's so easy to trot out the well, better one punch too early than one punch too late, you know, OK, obviously, uh, congrats on preferring an inconclusive ending to a tragedy. Um, but the goal is to stop it neither too early nor too late, to stop it at the right time. And I don't believe Caes did that. But I'll also reiterate, refereeing fights is a tough job. Yeah. There's no tougher job in sports officiating. So what can you do? I didn't see what he saw, but it's not worth dwelling on beyond this. Uh, I will say Sanchez Benitez was a very fun fight. And and that's part of why the the stoppage bothered me, too, is that I was enjoying the the, the bout. Uh, Sanchez is going to make good action fights. Um, But based on what I saw here, you said not a blue chipper. I agree. Doesn't look destined to go all the way. Uh, Dutch over uh, tough to take much away from that fight even though you somehow just put together a 12-minute soliloquy on it Uh, but um, what i can take away is that he did the right thing against a tall southpaw where head clashes are a worry he went to the body and he got him out of there Mm -hmm. so that was friday night's action saturday night took it up a notch on fox we saw what i would consider the clear front runner for fight of the year And also a candidate for upset of the year, Julian J. Rock Williams outpointing Jared Hurd in a thriller at 154 pounds. Williams knocked Hurd down in the second round and went on to win by scores of 116-111, 115-112, and 115-112. The judges got it right, despite this being in front of a pro-Hurd crowd in Fairfax, Virginia. Williams fought brilliantly on the inside. He showed guts, as did Hurd, mind you. Uh, Williams had some new wrinkles in his game, uh, taking little steps to the side to create angles and just generally fighting like his career depended on winning this one. I certainly didn't see this coming. Uh, Kieran, a a few questions for you. Would you agree this is the fight of the year so far? Were you as surprised as I was that J-Rock had this in him? And does yet another slow start from Herd suggest maybe it's time for him to move up and wait?
0: I think it probably is the fight of the year. Um, I always like hesitate because i thinking i always find myself thinking there must be something i've completely forgotten that somebody's going to call us out on and we go oh yeah forgot about that but i really can can uh, think of anything right now that's a major challenge to it and that's even though at the end of the fight even though it was close i was confident that williams had won right if you know what i mean it was it was one of those those, those things where yep i was pretty clear that there was a winner but nonetheless it was pretty it was pretty exciting all the way through uh, i didn't expect this at all um i certainly didn't think that j-rock had this in him i i was actually going into it imagining that if he wasn't there already a really good win i heard could start to put him in 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 the bottom end of some people's pound for pound lists uh Hmm. he was starting to make that good of a case for himself i thought but it just didn't happen um yeah j-rock was just up for it right from the very beginning um he was fighting like a man possessed like you said it was a guy who felt that okay i've got the one one loss on my ledger i can't afford to have a second loss uh i need to get in there and and really take this from this guy and it wasn't just his energy that he brought to it. It's like you said, it was some of the wrinkles that he added in there. And and even though Heard kept throwing and landing some really telling blows, it really felt throughout, I thought, that the contest was being conducted on Williams' terms. Yeah. Um, and I really liked the shortness and the swiftness of the punches and combinations there, which was what made them so effective. He was better from the outside. He was better from the inside. Um, you know, I don't know about, you know, with Heard, with moving up uh, – yeah, I mean gosh, it was really interesting. He looked so much the bigger man in oh, there. Yeah. That's for that, that didn't he though. Huge. Like yep. that that was that was the thing when you saw them up up together even as Williams was taking it to him. So maybe uh, there certainly won't be any easier challenges at 160, but maybe physically it will be easier for him. But mm-hmm. before that happens, there has been talk, there was talk immediately afterward of, of a rematch. Um heard saying that he, there was a clause, he certainly wanted to exercise that clause, but Williams was also asked about Fighting the charlo harrison two
1: winner, so plenty of options what do you want to see next well i really liked williams's idea that he shared in the post-fight interview he wants to do a rematch and he wants heard to come to philly uh that's fair yeah. and that's a very philly fight uh i'd love to see that i'd be there regardless of whether it's on mm-hmm. showtime uh the charlo harrison winner is fine too but i think i prefer the immediate rematch if Hurd is going to stay at the weight which I'm not so sure he should. I I do think that these slow starts have a lot to do with him just draining himself too much to get down to this weight. But I guess he would know that better than me, and we'll see what he decides there. Um, But I mentioned J-Rock's post-fight interview. What an interview it was. Very powerful, a lot of emotion, a ridiculous amount of class. And one line that really struck me, he said, boxing world, stop condemning fighters after a loss. Yeah. Amen. We, we we need to not write fighters off after they take a tough fight and lose it. And, and I'm somewhat guilty of it here. I gave Williams almost no chance against Hurd <laughs> because of how I saw him get knocked out by Charlo. But we need to encourage fighters to take challenging fights by making it clear that one or two losses is not the end of the world. Uh, good for Julian Williams for how he proved that in the ring against Hurd. Yeah. On the undercard, uh, Mario Barrios scored a second-round knockout of Juan Jose Velasco with a body shot, and Matt Korobov and Emmanuel Aleem fought to a 10-round draw. It was originally announced as a majority decision win for Korobov, but they retotaled the scores and revealed that it was, in fact, a draw. And that was kind of a big story in the moment, but then Williams-Hurd happened, and it all feels like an afterthought now. Anything to comment on here before we move on to the ESPN card?
0: Look, I just spent five minutes talking about a fight that lasted half a round. So, of course, I have something <laughs> to come in on. Um, yeah. uh, so, first of all, I was impressed with Barrios. Uh, you know, I've heard his name a fair bit this year, not least thanks to the sterling efforts of his publicist, Mario Serrano, who's been pushing his name quite a bit. I, I You know, he looked nice and patient in the first round. And then that lightning fast left hook to the liver uh, that took a lot of rewatching to see it. Um, very impressive. And you think it took uh, uh, Regis Progray seven rounds, I think it was, to get Velasco out of there. Uh, one thing I'll say about that, Fox, if you're going to have boxing, get to the replays much more quickly, please. Mm. Uh, I think we had to go through the whole the results being announced, a couple of commercial breaks before we actually got to see what that punch was that, right. that had dropped him, and, and nobody was entirely sure on the commentary team, so come on, Fox, up your Ooh. game a little bit there. <laughs> Critical um, Kieran,
1: we don't always see the right? side of
0: you. I like it. <laughs> There you go. Uh, As for uh, Karabov and Alim, a couple of quick thoughts. I thought something was not quite right when one of the scores was Mm -hmm. Um, 96-95. That kind of jarred a little bit. Like, well, is there a 10-10 round in there? How does that happen? Um, Kind of mix-up. Does happen occasionally, but it shouldn't. Um, it's good that they had Larry Hazard there to talk about that. Actually, that was that was fortunate. Um, but it, you know, it is what it is. Boxing. Um, right. <laughs> but w- what really struck me more than anything, I think, is just how odd is Matt Koroboff's career. You know, there was so much promise early on. Then he ran into Andy Lee, uh, who he was doing very well against, and, until Andy landed the the patented hook. Um, right. Then he seemed to be middling for a while. Then he pulled out a pretty darn good performance against charlo and then for six rounds he's looking good against Aleem and then at the end he's hanging on for dear life so right. he's just a hard guy to figure out matt Karabov. like good when he's good he's really good and then when he's not he's he's just middling at best uh, a peculiar fighter i think um over on espn uh two rematches two repeat performances uh we wondered last week whether that'd be the opportunity for uh revenge uh not at all actually the guys who are uh, winners the first time around were more dominant even than the first time uh starting with the main event a couple years ago it took miguel Burchell 11 rounds to beat francisco vargas this time vargas's corner stopping at the end of the sixth uh, say it was lively enough vargas was in it early on but but Chow, Gradually began taking over and landing harder, cleaner punches. And really by the end of that sixth round, especially, he was just just whomping him with, with two and three punch combinations, especially that left hook landing brutally to body and head. And, and Joel Diaz, Vargas' trainer, realizing after six, they were only halfway through the fight, was getting away from him. He was only going to get hurt um, and stopping that fight. Uh, what was your big takeaway from that? Was this about Bachelt, or was this... Vargas having been in an awful lot of tough fights? Uh,
1: A bit of both, of course, but I'll be Mr. Glass Half Full and say it's more the story of Burchelt and and him having improved since their first fight. He just looked that much more confident and aggressive (laughs) and in control here. Vargas looked positively overmatched. Uh, like you said, it was competitive maybe for the first couple rounds or kind of looked that way, but he was never really getting any serious yeah. business done. Um, and I think the fact that he looked overmatched was slightly more because of Burchelt than because yeah. of Vargas. And good for Vargas's corner for stopping it when they did. We'd seen all we needed to see. It wasn't going to get any better for him. And uh, Burchelt now, uh, he's, he's right. At the top of the discussion for best 130 pounder in the world. Yep. In the co feature, uh, same theme, uh, a rematch much more lopsided than its predecessor, as Emmanuel Navarrete just beat the crap out of <laughs> Isaac Dogbay for uh, almost 12 full rounds until Dogbay's corner finally threw in the towel about a minute to go, uh, arguably a couple of rounds later than they should have. Dog Bay was getting wobbled by big shots in almost every round. And after he went down in round six, uh, this particularly stood out to me, that he got up with a look of defeat in his eyes. Like he knew he had no answers for Navarrete. Mm. Uh, this is a bit unusual, what's going on with, with Dog Bay, how quickly yeah. he rose and was hailed as the next big thing and, and how quickly he's fallen, two losses in a row now. Is Navarrete just a nightmare matchup for him? Is Bay not as good as people thought? Or can the punches actually be catching up to him at just 24 years of age? What do you think?
0: Uh, Well, first of all, I totally agree with you. The corner, I don't even know that it was arguable, actually. The corner really should, I think, have stopped that fight earlier. The ninth round was the perfect time to stop that fight, um, either during or right after. As you said, yeah, he did have that. Yeah, he did have a sort of almost a look of resignation when he went down yeah. with in that sixth round, didn't he? And and then it just kept on going. And then the ninth was was really brutal. That was a perfect time to step in and make the humane stoppage. Look at the contrast between this fight and uh, and the one we just talked about in terms of uh, humane stoppages. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fair to say, you wonder sometimes if it's a consequence of having a father in the corner. I mean, we've talked about this before, haven't we? That sometimes right. fathers have such faith in their sons that they can be a bit slower to pull the trigger. Maybe that's not a fair comment. But, um, so, you know what, I'm going to somewhat reflect, uh, in terms of, you know, talking about what was going on here, what you said uh, with the last fight, It's a, I'm going to be a little bit glass half full here and put credit to Navarrete rather than, uh, you know, suggest that maybe Dog Bay was, was overrated or anything. You know, he was coming into that first Dog Bay fight, uh, pretty much unheralded but he's shown in these two fights that he's a legitimate badass oh yeah and and with that build and that style and that height he's gonna be an absolute nightmare for anybody i think it was a terrible style matchup for dog bay but i think he'd be a terrible matchup for (laughs) many people uh he's really shown himself i'm not sure what happens to dog bay here you know he says he might be going up to featherweight but the opponents aren't going to get any smaller as he goes up in weight Uh, and it was certainly, you know, Navarrete's height and reach that were real problems for him. Um, You know, you ask about, you know, is it that the punches are catching up to him before this, the first Navarrete fight, I wouldn't have said so, but now he's gotten beaten the hell up for a fight and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, you know, that's not necessarily career ending, but it can certainly be career debilitating and, and career shortening. I mean, that's, yeah, the best part of really from about the halfway point, wasn't it, of the first fight that Navarrete really started taking over and, and just whomping him. So that's that's we'll see what the consequences will be for him, but uh, probably not beneficial, I would say.
1: Yeah. I, after a fight like this, I would love to see Dog Bay take a little time off. If he yep. didn't fight again in 2019, maybe came back the start of 2020. That would that would be ideal, I would say. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's get to the outside the ring news, and there was plenty of it. Uh, good, bad, and indifferent, depending on your perspective, in the world of boxing this week. Bad news for Oleksandr Usyk, who has been forced to postpone his scheduled heavyweight debut against Carlos Takam with a biceps injury. That bout had been scheduled for the 25th of this month but it has been reported that Usyk may be good to go again in August. Uh, Good news for his fellow Ukrainian Vasily Lomachenko, however, uh, looking to add alphabet belts to his collection. He has been given the go-ahead to face Luke Campbell for a vacant lightweight belt. Not sure if that's good news for Campbell. Uh, Any preliminary thoughts on that matchup?
0: Um,
1: Yeah, look, Campbell's a a solid pro, um,
0: quality boxer, Olympic gold medalist, uh, and 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 he's done well as a pro. I was ringside when he fell just short against uh, Jorge Linares not too long ago. Uh, but that result, I think, also shows his relative limitations. Look, in a normal world, Campbell would be up there with the very best at lightweight, and he'd fancy his chances against just about any titleist. But it is not a normal world as long as Vasily Lomachenko walks among us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's notable that uh, you know Campbell's promoter Eddie Hearn was very much hoping to find a way for his man to fight for the vacant title against one of that Alphabet body's other uh, top contenders, uh, Zaur Abdulayev or Devin Haney, and maybe that's even why he, part of his thinking behind signing Haney, um, and not to have to fight against Lomachenko. Um, it's unusual for one Alphabet body to say that the holder of another couple of Alphabet belts should get to fight for their belt. But so, you know, they were trying to avoid Lomachenko, at least initially, and perhaps forever, but they got him. Um, He's going to be up against it big time, Campbell. But if it's in the UK, you know, it'll be a tremendous event. Um, The Brits will welcome Lomachenko. They'll give him full respect, um, even as they roar for their guy. But yes, Luke Campbell, definitely up against, as is indeed everybody against Lomachenko, who appears to be in a let's beat up British people phase of his career at the moment. (laughs) Um, uh, And it is a bit of a Brit-heavy segment uh, of the podcast, really. Uh, In addition to... Campbell being fed to Lomachenko, his compatriot Anthony Yardy is apparently in line to challenge Sergei Kovalev for a light heavyweight title in Russia on June 29th. It should, of course, be noted that Kovalev has a pretrial hearing uh, related to a charge of assault, uh, I think, in just a few days. Um, So this is all dependent on Kovalev's not being knocked out by the California justice system, although I suspect whatever happens, nothing will have been resolved by then. Um, So that's potentially Kovalev against Yardi uh, in late June. And our buddy Chris Algieri uh, continues his comeback against Tommy Coyle on the Joshua Ruiz undercard at Madison Square Garden on June 1st. Which of those two Brits, Coyle or Yardy, do you think is most likely to turn back across the Atlantic victorious?
1: That's a good question. Uh, Coyle's pretty much a club fighter, um, but I'm not sure if Algeria is still world class at age 35. And after sitting out from April 2016 to November 2018, now he's back in action. I'd favor Algeria, especially at home, but Coyle is live, um, and Yardi is a different sort of case. He'd be stepping up against arguably the best in the division, a veteran in Kovalev who's been near the top of the pound-for-pound list and has faced the very best, whereas Yardi, though talented, is really untested. Yardi looks great on offense when he's beating up overmatched guys, yeah. but I have no idea what he'll look like with art- artillery coming back at him. So he has to be an underdog also, especially in Russia. Um, but I guess I'd make him slightly more live than Coyle because – Kovalev is aging and has been vulnerable yep. at times. Maybe the youth and athleticism and power of Yardy would get to him. It's an interesting fight, uh, if not one of the fights anyone is really calling for for Kovalev. Yeah, yep. But with all due respect to the Ukrainians and Brits, uh, and we wanted to let them have their moment in the sun here, there's <laughs> no question about what the biggest fight announced this week is july 20th on fox pay-per-view many pacquiao takes on keith thurman we've talked a lot already about this possibility ever since they each scored wins back in january we've said it was the most logical matchup for both men and as i tweeted on saturday right after hearing about the fight really remarkable when you step back and look at the fact that pacquiao is 40 years old he's had 70 fights he doesn't fight in a self-preservational style And he's still headlining pay-per-views against prime elite fighters and isn't even necessarily the underdog. Uh, One odds maker I checked has Manny at even money to win against Thurman. Uh, We'll talk more about this fight as it draws near. But just uh, what's your quick initial reaction to the announcement?
0: Yeah, I think my my initial reaction is exactly what you alluded to there. Um, This is the perfect matchup in many ways for both guys at the perfect time. Uh, As you alluded to uh, in the aftermath of Manny's win over Adrian Bronner, we did sort of blow our cheeks out a bit at the thought of Pacquiao up against any of the top welterweights. Um, but I think you were the first one to suggest that actually maybe Thurman, out of them all, might be the right name for him. And after Thurman's last fight, right. we both thought, yeah, OK, you know what? He could actually be. Like, we don't want to seem necessarily Pacquiao up against Errol Spence. But, you know, Thurman isn't what he was, it seems. He doesn't seem to be as powerful at welter as he was at 140 and the injuries have taken a toll on him a little bit and yeah like you said it's kind of amazing that it's the younger Thurman whose body seems to be creaking and not Manny Pacquiao it's You're amazing right. um so yeah look my initial thought is that actually this is a pick and fight and and that is testament to both guys it's the testament to Pacquiao for still being competitive at this level and to Thurman for a, being in the position, even after all the injuries and the time out from the ring, where he might be, you know, he's considered even up against a future Hall of Famer. Um, so I remember when when Thurman made his HBO debut. It was on an Adrian Bronner undercard in Cincinnati. This would have been, I think, 2012 or 2013. And there was a little bit of outrage about him even being on HBO. Who is this guy? He doesn't deserve to be on HBO. Um, Nobody had any idea who the hell he was. And after he won, he called out in the ring. He called out Floyd Mayweather and got booed by the crowd for his (laughs) presumptuousness. And um, in the bar afterwards, uh, Ed Mulholland and I were, were trying to find somewhere to drink in downtown Cincinnati late on a Saturday night. We found this one place, and at some point, I looked around, looked next to me, and there, next to me at the bar with his friend was Keith Thurman, and um, and his. We all sort of introduced each other, and his friend asked me in all seriousness, hey, did you hear him call out Floyd? What do you think the odds would be if he fought Floyd next?" And I was like, dude, are you serious? I mean, like <laughs> probably 5,000 to one. I don't know. And, and he seemed genuinely shocked that that, that should be my reaction. So um, full credit to Thurman and his team for their consistent self-confidence and um, self-belief. And here we are seven years later, six years later. Never did get Floyd, but he got absolutely the next best thing. Mm. So uh, finally – Okay, back to, um, you know, we we began this podcast with some very sad news uh, with the the passing of Harold Letterman. And as we indicated, we also have some very sad news with which to close as well. Smokin' Burt Cooper, heavyweight contender in the 1990s, has died from pancreatic cancer at the age of just 53. If you look at his record, he finished his career with a ledger of 38 and 25 and you knew nothing else about him. You'd think he was middling at best, but ask Evander Holyfield or Michael Mora whether they would agree with that assessment. Uh, In a good heavyweight era, Cooper was certainly not good enough to be at the top, but he was plenty good enough to give those who were absolute hell. Um, And yet, amazingly, they all lined up to fight him. Um, Joe Messi, Chris Bird, Ray Mercer, Riddick Bowe, Corey Sanders, Jeremy Williams, Derek Jefferson, freza Kendo, <laughs> even George Foreman. Wow. Uh, it's no wonder Cooper had as many losses as he did. Um, Eric, your memories of smoking Burt Cooper?
1: Well, they're limited because by the time I was really watching boxing uh, in 1997, when I started covering the sport, he was pretty well washed pretty much, even if yeah. his career somehow had 15 years left um so uh i was
0: I, shocked to find that out
1: actually i yeah, had no the, idea yeah <laughs> i was unaware too so i sort of remember him losing to prospects like jefferson and kendo and macy uh, it's crazy that he was still around to get knocked out by Luis Ortiz in 2011. Yes. I guess, I guess I wasn't paying attention to Ortiz yet. It was that early in Ortiz's yeah. career. Cause I don't recall that, but his glory days were in the late eighties and early nineties. And the particular high point was that loss to Holyfield as a late replacement in a fight for the legit heavyweight championship of the world. And he had a Vander almost out on his feet in the third yeah. round, got credited with a knockdown and boy, would Burt Cooper's life and legacy have been different if he'd completed that upset? Uh, But he was a troubled man, a lot of drinking and drugs, uh, smoking Burt Cooper. Wasn't just a reference to his (laughs) offensive firepower. Uh, There's an excellent long form article by Carlos Acevedo that ran uh, on the HBO from the vault site while we were there. It's about the Holyfield fight, but also about Cooper's manager and fixed fights and murder. Fascinating stuff. If you're not familiar with the story Um, in a sense, It's amazing Burt Cooper lived long enough to be killed by cancer. (laughs) He'd been down and out for a a good long while, but he was a good, dangerous heavyweight in his prime. I wasn't following most of his career as it happened. I'm maybe not the best person to eulogize him, but look him up on YouTube. You'll have some fun. He certainly was not a boring heavyweight fighter.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, Okay, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Be sure to check out All Access. Wilder versus Brazil, now available on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel and Showtime Boxing's Facebook page. And beginning Wednesday, those same social media channels will also be showing All Access Daily, a series of digital shorts showing the fight week buildup. Uh, that buildup, of course, will conclude with Friday's weigh-in. And Eric and I will be there podcasting from the, the weigh-in with some special guests. And that all builds up further to the big fight itself, Deontay Wilder versus Dominic Brazil this Saturday may 18th on showtime championship boxing beginning at 9 p.m eastern 6 p.m pacific if you have any questions you'd like us to discuss on friday's pod perhaps to toss at some of our special guests feel free to post them up to twitter with the hashtag ask show pod and we will see what we can do so we will be with you again before this week is over and once more in the immediate aftermath of the big heavyweight title battle until then thank you for listening